on May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Hello, it's Aida Osman. I'm the only one here today. Um, I know you guys have missed me. It's cancer season. I've been acting up. I've been acting up and I'm alive. I'm, I'm very, very much so alive. Y'all get on my DMs, okay? You know I'm sad when I have to miss a show, but I got to be an actress now. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to do other things. But hello. Hi. I got to let my co-host speak. It's actually my dream to burst into tears and scream, I'm an actress on this show. (laughs) (laughs) Hasn't happened yet. That's Aida Osman. I'm Louis Fertel. And who's this other guy? I am Ira Madison III, reminding you that Leo season starts now. Because as I said before, when I see a cancer, I floor it. So Shut y'all, your wor- mouth. y'all worried about Aida being alive now? She might not be. <laughs> she might not be soon. Ira, 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 <laughs> Ira, Ira. I know cancer season got you acting up too because you've been fully a black socialite. You're up there with Lord, Miss Lori Harvey. You're up there with Miss Jordan Woods. You're outside, Ira. Where have I been? Drag me, Ira. <laughs> Why am I seeing you with with the cast of Selling Sunset just outside? <laughs> what is what is happening? <laughs> you looked fun. It looked fun. Thank you. I want to point out that the connection between me and Chriselle is the <laughs> fact that she is close friends with another friend of mine, Molly. Uh, mm-hmm. And they were on Days of Our Lives together. Oh, that's beautiful. And also, if you patrol Sunset enough at night, they just let you hang out with the Settling Sunset cast. So good for you, girl. Yeah, truly. They're outside. Um, <laughs> I just want to point out that they are um, the most fun straight people I've ever interacted with. Mm. So. Yeah, take me next time. This is not even a critique. This is a beg for invitation. This John Favreau erasure. <laughs> Uh, I said what I said. <laughs> okay, you're gonna you're gonna stick stick with that. Okay, and I think Emily Favreau would agree. Oh, you know what? Mm. She's up there. She's like top one yeah. percentile. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was also excited to see former Keep It guest Nina Parker there. Mm. Early nice, Keep It guest. Nice. nice. So I love seeing her shine. You know, hosting Daily Pop, having her own fashion line, doing what all the other girls wish they were doing. I want to have a fashion line. Mm, You know? I can dial into this Zodiac season because I believe the Zodiac is a cancer. So it's really nice how it works out. How long have you been working on that? (laughs) I love teaching the girls wordplay. (laughs) All right. Cross that one off in your notebook. And teaching the girls video editing and movie production. Your story was like three hours long the other day. Oh. All right, girl. Explain, well, I ha- explain the crispness, <laughs> the crispness of the visuals. I need to know what was going on, Lewis. Oh well, I used the one gay filter. What she's talking about is I did an Instagram story where I just answered pop culture questions for an hour due to, I guess, narcissism. But it's fun, so there we go. <laughs> There's like one filter that everybody uses that, for some reason, Instagram notable and friend, an LA friend of ours, Kyle Krieger, I think, invented. But it gives you like this orangey, peachy glow. It's really helpful for people with, say, rosacea, like me. Does everyone use it? 
it? Yes. It's or do you keep using it? I see it all the Cause, time. Because I haven't seen that many people use it anymore. Okay. Well, guys, I don't know how you're going to help me with this pinkiness, but he did his best. So It's super gay. <laughs> it's named after our favorite Enrique Iglesias song, Hero, of course. Uh-huh. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. If you're paying attention. Mm. While I was drinking during the weekend, I must have missed it, but I did get DMs. Someone had sent me like one of your stories, uh, but it was already gone by the time I went to look. It's okay. I, I screen recorded. Oh, you did? Thank you. Yeah. The question was, do I prefer Ira's French accent or English accent? And I said, uh, murder-suicide. So. Mm. Mm. Nice. Mm. I do have a murder-suicide accent. <laughs> I feel the same way. I love when we agree. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well... Mm. I guess we got to get this show started. All right, fine. It's time. You know, <laughs> they missed us so much. We're back with a vengeance. I missed this. A vengeance. Yeah. I'm here to spike. We have so much to talk about. The The celebrities are acting up. Okay. So uh, we, will, we will, one, discuss um, the other thing that I got plenty of DMs about. Um, the Chrissy Teigen, Michael Costello situation. I want to point out that we started to discuss it last week without all of the proper information, and that is why you all felt the need to DM me about why there was a large cut at the end of last week's <laughs> Keep It segment. Most people didn't notice, but some of you are uh, listen to too many murder podcasts and probably yeah. just listen to Keep It with too much of a attuned ear. Stop doing that. The Michael Costello situation, we were only like 5% of the way through the story by the time the episode dropped, and now the necessary information has come out, and we can be the proper literary detectives that we are. Yes. Plus, there's some new gay athletes in the world, so that's exciting. Mm -hmm. And um, Me at San Francisco Pride will be another gay athlete. Watch me go. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Is that where you're going this weekend? I'm going to win the long jump, the high jump, and the, uh, yeah, all the... Girl, what you jumping into? Most possible jumps you could do. Wait, are you going to SF Pride this weekend? I sure am. Oh, I'm horrified about that completely. Ira. What, Lewis at World Pride in New York was like... I was concerned for him. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's like Taz. You know what I mean? Taz does his (laughs) best to to interact socially in a responsible way, but he's, you know, Taz. Manian Devil? Yeah. (laughs) That's the one. (laughs) (laughs) We're just calling him Taz now? I'm over casual. Ever since I bought those leather coats in the 90s with him on the back? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Side note, I do want to say that I have been trying to hunt one of those down. Oh, yeah? I miss the, like, hip-hop Looney Tunes characters on the back of jackets and, like, starter jackets. The weird synchronicities. I want that back. I just got a Tweety Bird shirt. Yes, bring Tweety Bird back. Bring them all back. Pepe Le Pew. Was it Tweety with like a with like a bandana though? With a strip like... lash, a strip lash and a bandana, girl. What are you doing? <laughs> Where are you going? <laughs> I feel like the hip hop qualities were not evenly distributed to the Looney Tunes. Like, was mm. there like hip hop Daffy? I don't know. I don't think so. It really was mostly like Tweety. And maybe Taz. Yeah, Tweety and Taz. Maybe some Marvin the Martian. Yeah, With a drop earring. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I hate that. Tweety Pock Shakur. <laughs> I want to see Granny with hoop earrings and Doc Martens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to see Lola, you know, oh, with some Daisy Dukes. That's what I want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, also, T-Pain um, shared a disturbing story about Usher that Lewis has not even heard yet. So... 
can't wait to tell him about that. This also comes on the heels of a, an, another disturbing story about him and Nicki Minaj. Like, it's just been oh, a strange week. I didn't hear that one. T-Pain. Yeah, it was just about, uh, well, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. This is going to hurt my stall as a barb, isn't mm. it? Mm-hmm. Well, it is. That happens every week anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> you can't be a barb without being disappointed by Nikki uh-uh. every week. <laughs> also, the New York Times released its list of the best American comedies of the 21st century and uh, got some thoughts about that. TV so, shows, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It wouldn't it wouldn't be keep it if we didn't find the list gravely wrong. So yeah. <laughs> we'll get into it. Yelling at lists, one of the most unproductive and satisfying things to do. Mm-hmm. I just love it. Mm-hmm. So, we'll be right back. This week, Lover to Leave It presents Out of the Closets, Into the Streets, a live pride extravaganza filled with games, comedy sets, and of course, gay news. Love It makes its return to the live stage with an amazing lineup including Ronan Farrow, Jared Goldstein, Hannah Einbinder, Aida Osman, Louis Vertel, Brendan Scannell, Rhea Butcher, of course, myself, and many more. Out of the Closets, Into the Streets will stream live on June 24th at 4 p.m. Pacific on Cricket Media's YouTube and Twitch pages. We'll be fundraising for the Trans Justice Funding Project, so I hope you'll join. Learn more at crooked.com slash pride. And we're back. And before we begin, I just have stumbled upon Sharon Stone talking shit about Meryl Streep, whose birthday it is today, Tuesday as we record. It will be yesterday by the time you hear this. But she starts by saying, Viola Davis is every bit the actress Meryl Streep is. Okay, fine. Emma Thompson, Judy Davis, Olivia Coleman, Kate Winslet, for fuck's sake. Ouch. But you say Meryl and everybody falls on the floor. I'm a much better villain than Meryl, she goes on, and I'm sure she'd say so. Meryl was not going to be good in Basic Instinct or in Casino. I would be better, and I know it, and she knows it. But we're all set up to think that only Meryl is so amazing that when you say her name, it must have been amazing, and she gets breathy and keeps talking. Sharon, you need to not be saying this. Sorry. Uh, Be upset. (laughs) Don't be wrong. Uh, Yeah. uh, What did Sharon (laughs) spill on that tea this morning? I don't know. (laughs) I'm a fan of Sharon generally. I love Sharon. I love Meryl too, but I'm also saying that Meryl Street would not have been good in Casino. Okay, but mm. I'm not worried about that. But, Who's yeah. like, oh no, sh- or playing the villain in Catwoman? Okay, oh, the, the things that keep us up at night. Oh no, <laughs> I, I'm of the camp of Sharon Stone has no business speaking to Meryl, but you know it's birthday fun. <laughs> Lewis, your face. It's just I, a little bit of shade, Lewis. The concern on my face, I look like Tim Gunn looking at like a hemline that's been torn to shreds. It's just a little bit of shade. I'm not super worried about her playing a villain. I guess she did in like The Giver or uh, maybe Into the Woods, technically. Uh, the Devil Wears Prada. Does she think she could have done The Devil Wears Prada? I don't know. How'd you put this much disdain into an inflection? <laughs> and I don't know. <laughs> this is acting, Aida. You can learn from this. Yeah, this is the Academy. You've heard of Meisner. This is Mattel. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I don't see um, Meryl. You know what? Actually, I do see Meryl doing The Quick and the Dead. Mm-hmm. But Sliver? No. Okay? I love Mer- like Sphere. Let me tell you something. Are you ta- you're, Mer- these, are, these are barely films, but okay. <laughs> First of all, Sharon Stone has this bit of, you know, like sexuality, you know? Mm-hmm. Like she, she's, a, she's a bit more brassy. She's a bit more, you know, like 
vulgar, you know, a little bit more right. loose. And mm-hmm. I think that I think that Meryl, even when she tries to be a bit more loose, doesn't always succeed. She devil. So, ooh, I disagree. Know. I think that's a great comedy performance. Also, comedy though, mm. comedy. It's mm. it's not sexy, you know. I don't mm. want Meryl to. I'm not watching She Devil and then wanting Meryl to mount me. Okay, <laughs> but let me tell you something about Miss Sharon. Stone. This counts as a criticism. Okay, go ahead. Okay, yeah. in um, King Solomon's minds, baby. <laughs> Come on, baby. <laughs> sure, and uh, she listen. She's she's not saying anything wrong either about Viola or Olivia Coleman or about Emma Thompson. It's just a little bit of a birthday shade, okay? okay. This is ballroom. All, all right. <laughs> okay, thank wow, you, Megan really or whoever. Gunning, yes. yeah. Yeah. gunning for, the, the, for the fifth judge position on Legendary, Ira. Go. In fact, uh, I'm going to make some emails. <laughs> Things need to happen. I'm sorry I talked about Meryl Streep mounting me. That, I, I've lost my mind a bit. Uh, I knew you would walk it back, and I'm thankful. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying one woman is unadulterated sensuality. Uh No, one has has higher cheekbones than the other. That's the only distinction I'm willing to make. You know what? The only distinction. Listen, I know Meryl can talk, but let me see her walk. (laughs) Walk, walk. Walk. Oh my God! There's a <laughs> gift from the movie Manhattan where you really do see her walk, though, and I don't believe Sharon could uh, emulate it. If, if you know the gift I'm talking about, it is Feroche, 1979, mm. black and white, Meryl. Yeah. Mm. Yes, love discussing Woody Allen on a Tuesday morning. Okay, yeah, I, I'm defending oh, Woody Allen. Wow. I love everything mm. he does personally. There, it's, you, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. About this Michael Costello news mm-hmm. that we yeah. that we tried to get into last week, but we only knew half the story. We 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 hadn't seen Untucked yet, right? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But you got to stick around for yeah, yeah. You got to watch the Queen sipping stuff and yelling at each other. So um, it's been a busy Pride Month for Chrissy Teigen mm-hmm. um, after past. Tweets of hers resurfaced, in particular one suggesting Courtney Stoughton should take a dirt nap. Nice, Chrissy nice. has apologized, dropped out of projects, stepped away from her cleaning supply brand, and gone on the defensive against designer Michael Costello, who she's accused of doctoring DMs. I want to first say that this story gives me a headache. There are two people on both sides accusing the other of doctoring DMs. Uh, so it's truly like spy versus spy at this point. Well, Harriet figured out. I was going to say, which part annoys you the most? Having to remember Corny Stodden or having to look up Michael Costello? Because both of these <laughs> pained me so much. Because you, you have to go deep into other wikis to find this information. Uh, yeah. I don't mind the Courtney Stodden stuff, but I do get like full body chills remembering her ex husband, the one who was on Lost. Right. <laughs> yeah, because that man's creepy. He was like a fifty year old dating a teenager. Yes, it was bizarre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, I, when I was remembering that man, it grossed me out. But the Michael Costello stuff, I know that he was on Project Runway, but then I'm also like, Who are you? Do people wear Michael Costello? Well, here's my thing. They must, because whenever I go to Palm Springs and I'm on the Walk of Fame there and I'm looking at names like Beverly Johnson and Victoria Principal, then next to them is Michael Costello. Mm. So he's clearly gotten around. I'm not saying that's like the Hollywood Walk of Fame, but the Palm Springs Walk of Fame means you've probably put a calf tan on somebody fabulous once or twice. Mm. 
Well, then, Lewis, you should certainly have a couple stars. It does feel like I've earned point. it. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so, like I said, the story is very confusing because, you know, when Chrissy obviously was apologizing um, for telling Courtney Sutton to um, take a dirt nap um, in private DMs um, and in tweets, uh, which which we addressed last week in my keep it. Um, so we're not going to re-litigate that, but <laughs> do want to point out that um, the apologies don't specifically mention Courtney Stott right at all mm. or any of the people by name. You know, they're very they're very loose apologies. Yeah, very highlights for children. You know, fill in the adjective yourself, <laughs> uh, fill in the noun. You decide who the apology is for. I know. Uh, <laughs> I know her. I know Chrissy's team has like a template. They're like, girl. <laughs> Yeah, you know they got more. You know they got lips. more too. Mm, and they're they are waiting. All seventeen people on her crisis team. <laughs> <laughs> but Michael Costello jumped in um, with his own accusations against Chrissy in a sense deleted post where he said, "I didn't want to do this, but I cannot be happy until I speak my mind." Never start a sentence like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, we're all going to be impressed with your wild candor no matter what happens. I need to heal. And in order for me to do that, I must reveal what I've been going through. I wanted to kill myself. And I still am traumatized, depressed, and have thoughts of suicide. And according to him, his harassment from Chrissy Teigen began after she left a comment on his Instagram page in 2014, accusing him of racism after seeing what he claims was a fake racist comment photoshopped by a former disgruntled employee to publicly embarrass him. So he reached out to Chrissy to communicate that he was the victim of cyber slander and that the um, DM uh, where he was shown using the N-word was falsified. And he says that she said, your career's over and all doors will be shut from there on. And according to Costello, Chrissy Teigen and her stylist Monica Rose um, went out of their way to threaten people and brands that if they were in any way, shape, or form associated with Costello, they would not be able to work with Chrissy. And his allegation is so this that their anger is based off something he did not do. But... Since then, people have come out of the woodwork to say, actually, Michael Costello has treated me like shit, including one, that's right, Leona Lewis of Bleeding Love fame, and also Better in Time, an underrated single. Better in Time. Yes. Well, I mean, Mrs. Glass, my favorite from her album Spirit. Okay, super fan, come out. I, I can give you, shit. okay, I can give you the okay. tracks from Echo too, okay? Um, uh. I cannot join you in that, but all right. Yeah. <laughs> And of course, the Avatar soundtrack. Let's not forget her other contribution to society. But anyway, she said that he shamed her for not being the correct size to wear something of hers. And at some sort of fashion show, she couldn't even be dressed properly. And the press asked her, why aren't you in this fashion show? And she couldn't say, the designer in question wouldn't dress me because my size was incorrect. So she felt Mm. humiliated by that. Also, I remember Leona Lewis being a cool size two for all of her clothes. Right. So yeah. I don't right. know she's what the a, she's fuck. She's a skinny girl. Yeah. That season of The X Factor, by the way, legendary. Oh my God, her performances were unbelievable. I love Leona Lewis. Her sorry seems to be the hardest word. I feel like she was a celebrity that was quietly swept under the rug. Maybe I should become a fan because she gave us a lot. You should. She was one of those musicians who's sort of like a Natasha Battingfield who got her own recent reigniting in popular culture thanks to TikTok um, rediscovering Unwritten. 
But I feel like Leona like had like a couple really good albums, and they are definitely albums that I sometimes like put on and spin from time mm-hmm. to time. And I remember the cover of Spirit. It's just like her face. You know, and like her yeah. like flowy mane, like on the cover too, giving us Janet Jackson mostly golden mm-hmm. hair in the front. Well, two thousand and seven, when all this was happening, was a strange time where people were like fighting for space behind Timbaland and Maroon Five, mm-hmm. so, and we already had Alicia Keys, so we were like, Leona, who are you, <laughs> and what are you doing? <laughs> Which, by the way, twentieth anniversary of um, songs in A Minor recently happened, and I re-listened to that album. You know what? Slaps. Oh, does Slaps, it? To be honest, yeah. and and I'd forgotten about it because I feel like we've gotten diminishing returns with Alicia Keys's albums since then. Um, like moments where you know she's singing "This Girl Is on Fire" on an award show, and then Gabby Douglas is cartwheeling across the stage. <laughs> um, are not moments I care to remember. <laughs> That's what you think is losing for us. Yes, 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 Aida. Um, <laughs> but. I will say that that album is pretty fucking great. Mm. Girlfriend, Piano and I, Jane Joe. My memory of that era, unfortunately, is it was about you had to choose between Alicia Keys and Blue Cantrell. And guys, let's just say I went with you chose the that. unconventional pick. Let's just say. <laughs> you chose did, did, did you have to choose? I, I felt. Was, was anyone choosing Blue Cantrell? The answer was me because when you first of all when you bring up your shopping buddies in a song and their names Soleil and Mia, guess what? Now I'm your friend. That's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> when your when your hit song is about vengeance, now I understand. And also, if you read the lyrics to Fallen, she's not achieving much literarily there. I don't think, and nor do I think literarily is a word. But I think my favorite uh, Alicia Keys song would have been on the follow up album, which is "You Don't Know My Name." Is that right? Mm, yes. Mm-hmm. Really good songs on that one, too. You know? I'm an As I, As I Am fan. That's when I tapped in, I believe. Mm. No one collaborations with Akon I was in. My favorite Alicia Keys era is the one where she told us that she would stop wearing makeup and then was sneaking a light mascara before the award shows. <laughs> I'm a little bit lying. Yes. Um, <laughs> the lying of Alicia Keys. Yes. <laughs> um, that, out As I Am, also and maybe has my favorite one. Which is where do we go from here? Mm. Iconic song. Mm, uh, mm-hmm. I do want to say that I went on a date with someone recently. Um, they were a stylist and had worked with like Alicia, uh, and obviously the no makeup thing means that like there is uh, an extensive amount of you know skincare and prep and masks and stuff like that. So you know she's coming out with a glow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Girl, no light skinned woman gonna tell me not to wear makeup. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hyperpigmentation over here, baby. <laughs> We're not talking. Okay, wait. Let's get back to Michael Costello and Leona Lewis. I just want to say, then it was alleged that not only was he doctoring these DMs, but in fact spelled Chrissy Teigen's name wrong in some of the doctored mm. DMs. <gasps> Guys, you shouldn't need... Like, that's literally something that an Encyclopedia Brown-level detective could solve. Like, he checked mm. the lettering with his magnifying glass from his science kit and discovered you are a dummy. Come on, <laughs> you're going to be a fraud. You have to figure this out. Yeah. <laughs> they also pointed out that she wasn't verified in these screenshots, which yeah. is um, fine. But, you know, like he had alleged that like the screenshots came from a certain year. Like he had taken them in 2014 and saved mm-hmm. them. So a lot of things weren't matching up. The amount of stupidity, negligence it takes to mess up the screenshots 
Just do better. Just do better. Yeah. Or don't come for Chrissy Teigen because look who gonna come. My favorite part of all of this is John Legend coming to defend his wife. My wife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's never addressing the real issue, but always the one that is like, why would someone doctor DMs? I'm like, there's so much going on behind this, John. Let's talk about that. I am actually also sad that we're adding to the history of somewhat problematic Project Runway alums because I can't explain it. I want the best for them. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, if there's, whatever, 13 designers in a season, how many of them can possibly become famous? It's the most impossible industry. So you get mm-hmm. kind of wrapped into these people's lives. But like, you know, Santino Rice being weird on Twitter or... Um, Kenley Collins getting into that famous fight she was in once upon a time. I just don't like adding to this um, problematic lineage. It's really wild that the most problematic at the time, Kristen Siriano, has become the, the most favored one now. And so gets it. Mm. Like, yeah. I remember at the time you would have called him like a twerp or something. And now mm. he's like, I don't know how else <laughs> to put it. Have? Mature. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Twer- twerp. Wonderful dead word. Can we bring back twerp? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, this is also reminding me of a time when I mean I know that Chrissy Teigen has you know, a lot of power, you know, as a celebrity mm-hmm. right now. But um, it it is wild to remember the era when she was just a model. Yes, on um, Sports Illustrated, <laughs> right you know? out. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, we promised Lewis a story, and you promised me a story, um, Aida. Mm-hmm. Yes. The story is that on the new Netflix series. Um, this is Pop. T-Pain tells a story about his four-year depression, and he says that he realized the depression started a moment when he was asleep on an airplane. Okay. The flight attendant woke him up and said, Usher would like to see you in the back. <laughs> Not how planes work, but okay, <laughs> go ahead. And we went to see Usher, and Usher told him that him using autotune in music ruined the music industry. Wow. And T Pain was like T Pain was like, we were friends and I was shocked about this. And I'm like, this nigga woke me up out of my sleep on an airplane. <laughs> That's what I would be the most mad about. My slumber. <laughs> and you sent a flight attendant to do it too. Not you didn't even do it yourself. Also, oh. can we talk about the song OMG? Does, is that like a pure vocal? Uh, doesn't sound like one to me. <laughs> I wish I when I, well, here's the thing: is I also saw Usher outside of. <laughs> I hate going outside. I was on Sunset, and he was he, his beautiful little five four body was was hobbling out of Sunset Kids. Um, Usher Bucks, aren't you just ruining currency? Okay, there's a lot of things oh, you remember, to talk oh, about. Oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yes. Usher Bucks, yes. <laughs> giving, the strippers. Strip, giving strippers fake Usher um, aren't currency. Ruining the, aren't you uh, making Hamilton mad? Aren't you ruining our financial institutions with your fake money? Also, one of the wildest Usher moments, too, was I think that like years ago, I think, Kara and I went to Usher's album release thing for the one album where he had a bust of himself as the cover. And you'd think it was just art, but then he went on to tell the story about how he wanted it to be very authentic, so he actually had the bust designed over him for hours, and he sat there while it dried. Mm. Mm. Hard to Love, yes, the 2016 yeah, hard to album. Lo- I'm like, who the fuck is doing that for an album cover, baby? And baby, the, it don't look like you. It don't have your likeness. <laughs> it does not. It does not. Something is very off. It doesn't look like Aida. you at all. Um, I know what what is what is the tea, what is the thing that Nikki oh, did to T Pain? My tea. So speaking of earlier when I was saying 2007 was a weird weird time. Um, Nikki was working on her first mixtape with um, the Lil Wayne boys, as I'm sure. Mm-hmm. 
And T-Pain approached her and said, yo, I love your music. I just want to make a song with you. And she was like, no, no, I'm working on my own music, honey. Um, and 2007, T-Pain, like, he was on the charts. Like, this was, right. a, this was an artist. And Nicki was a, a, a mixtape artist just trying to figure her stuff out. But so for her to deny T-Pain, he recently went on the 85 South show with Carlos Miller and Chico Bean, you know, if we like the, if we, you know, celebrate Juneteenth, listen to the ratchetry. But... That sounds like she was being an independent woman. I'm not mad at her for that. No, but, she no, she just apologized for it. T-Pain, like, mm. told us that it happened. And then she, she was like, baby, I have my own music to make. Like, I can't. I support her. Mm. I love it. I'm not mad at yes. Nikki, but yes. we deserve that song. <laughs> we deserve yeah. that. song. That's true. We do deserve that song because you know what? <laughs> then that was like the era when he was like making a song for Britney on Blackout, mm. Hot as Ice, which Ooh. is a fire ass song. I love that song. Um, also, by the ice. way, somewhat rare to hear stories of celebrities being even remotely kind of rude to each other. That reminds me of the famous story where Tia Maori went up to Charlize Theron at some yoga studio and was like, oh, I'm such a big fan. And according to Tia, allegedly Charlize laughed in her face. So anyway, <laughs> I'm just saying I can picture it. Don't know the veracity really, but... I'm stretching, Negro. <laughs> oh my God, this Charlize character you developed. Mad TV, come back. <laughs> My name is Charlie's Africa, not Charlie's talks to African Americans. Yes. <laughs> there can only be one, baby. There can only be one. Uh, okay. Uh the other the other news that I don't have much information on is um a football player came out um as gay yesterday. Um Carl Nasib, a player for the Las Vegas Raiders, which um, What's that? Hoof? The the gays were about to be wearing Raiders jerseys. All right, just to support this. Um, don't do that. Baby. I'm running through your nigga house don't, like don't. a Tomb Raider. <laughs> 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 yes, I'm running through his house, baby. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, please, please don't wear the Raiders jerseys. Uh, let it go. Let it go. Also, he may or may not still be a registered Republican as he was when he played for Tampa. Mm. So, Also, spoken very easily for someone who DM'd this person and posted it. So, mm. Okay, that was, that was, I don't, that, was that, that was a little bit of, uh, mm-hmm. what, do, what do you say, um, human, <laughs> okay? Mm-hmm. A slip up. It's all right. I don't, I don't have my Twitter account anymore, Aida. I have to make jokes somewhere. And it was funny. Sometimes I can't funny. tell if you're doing an accent or simply passing out because that sounded like <laughs> sounded like air was it, like your brain was here and the air to the brain yeah. was down here. You know what I mean? Do you need a dialect Ooh. coach or oxygen? Ooh. Okay, I, I, just, I just I just always have flashbacks to Michael Jackson walking past me, Lewis, and then I just faint. <laughs> um, no, his he had a cool statement about coming out that was you know pretty rad. In terms of queer athletes, I also want to say something about. Shakari Richardson, who is the 100-meter sprinter who will be uh, representing the U.S. in the Olympics. Uh, she has a girlfriend. She had flame red hair during her trial, which was inspired by her girlfriend. This woman also seems fucking hilarious, which we need in athletes. But, like, Adam Rippon, that's a rare situation. An athlete who yeah. also has, like, an awesome sense of humor. And this really gets me hyped for the Olympics. I know there's problematic parts of the Olympics, like they displace poor communities whenever they build these fucking stadiums. Mm-hmm. But... 
you you do get like a new kind of athletic star that you don't find in any other venue. So I stand I'm her. really excited. I stand she is her. fucking rad. And she's as got hell. the Flojo amazing. nails. Yes. Amazing, yes. amazing, amazing. Yeah. We need the Flojo photo shoot. <laughs> Shout out the uh, my favorite queer athlete, Naomi Osaka. Mm. Yes. I mean she's dating Corday, but that's pretty gay, so <laughs> Yes, we love Naomi. I Aida, Aida, I can't <laughs> It's cancer season. We'll be we'll be right, we'll be right back with Brandon <laughs> Taylor. I can't you can go back to acting. <laughs> <laughs> Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? (laughs) No? Uh, If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And <laughs> I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Our guest today is a Booker Prize shortlisted author. His first novel, Real Life, was a New York Times editor's choice, and his new collection, Filthy Animals, was released today to universal praise. Please welcome Brandon Taylor. Hi. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. I know. I'm so excited to have you. Truly, when I... um discovered real life during like the pandemic when I feel like everyone was discovering new books uh I was so excited to read it because one you were writing about being black and gay in the midwest specifically like at Wisconsin specifically like a state that I'm from um but also you know a I know Madison Wisconsin very well because friends of mine from high school went there and I would visit them sometimes and it was just such a exciting book to read and also i'm so fucking jealous of your prose i think roxy and gay pointed it out too i mean like the prose is phenomenal the prose is the is the main reason to be there i mean fuck your storytelling <laughs> the prose, okay <laughs> i want to live in your prose honestly that's 
all I've ever wanted to hear about my writing. And so I am now close to all further compliments. Um, <laughs> uh, the pros, I mean, I too am such a, I'm there for the pros, honestly, but I'm, I'm so thrilled that you, that you found it. Um, well, hopefully not too uh, triggering because <laughs> like, you know, Madison, Madison, Wisconsin is a very freighted place for the black gays. I feel <laughs> like it's a very particular place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't find it triggering, though, though I will say I got the wildest email uh, from someone who I, I feel like they were white, uh, but they sent me an email and they were like, I'm trying to remember this word for word, but it was like they were basically just mad that I recommended the book. Because they said, I am really upset that you would recommend this book for me to read because I'm reading it. And, you know, and it was just very, it was like, you know, it's very hard to read. And at the end, you know, it's like there weren't even any answers to what we're supposed to do. It was just sad. And it made me feel sad. And you shouldn't be recommending these kind of books to people. And I was like, God damn, have you read literature before? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not You don't always turn to the back docu- and they're the correct <laughs> answers. Yeah. It's not, it's not a, al- algebra. It's not, a, it's not um, eyes on the prize. It's not a call to action documentary. So <laughs> it was a really shocking review. That is incredible. <laughs> you know, there were these people who, white people, who, when they read the book, they were like, this just made me very uncomfortable. And, like, I don't know if I liked that. And I was just like, well, welcome to being black. Like, it wasn't great to feel either. You know, like, there, and then I always feel sort of conflicted when white people recommend the book and then they'll give trigger warnings for racism. And I'm like, who are you warning? Like, like you're. Like, bookstagrammer, like, who are you warning that there's racism in this book? Like, what? It's a, it's a weird... It's a great book, but oh, you, will, you. you will feel really sad because there's some racism in it. <laughs> you know? That's so helpful to know as an onlooker. Oh, thank, thank you so much. Um, also, speaking of responses to your work, something uh, I thought that was interesting when I read an interview of yours, I think it was either The Guardian or GQ. I, I, I apologize for not knowing that. You talked about specifically the kinds of words you hate reading when people review your books. And two of the words you used were, I thought were so interesting, raw and visceral. And I'm like, okay, I'm thinking about when people would use that kind of descriptor. And it does feel like it's kind of only for black writers. Like it's just like a familiar, like a trope we return to. And I was wondering if you had other just things you return to, things that are actually cliches that are meant to be like wonderful compliments. Oh my God. So yeah, raw and visceral for sure. Um, musical. They love the throw in. Yes. Like a, ooh, ooh, they love a, yes. They yes. love a musical. They love- Like the whole book rhymes. Oh my God. It's like, this is just a rap. Who knew? Um, they love authentic. That's one. Mm. Oh, they mm. love a hot authentic. They love a- <laughs> Um, a searing new voice. Like, like, it's, just, it's just like things that are just painful. Like any, like if, it, like if you don't know if they're describing a bout of appendicitis or a book, usually the author that they're describing is like a brown or black person. Usually. Like, oh, that's so funny. Uh, and I think it was the GQ interview too, where you were talking about basically like um, you had gotten to a point now when you're writing, it's like you're thinking about like who you're framing a book for, you know, exactly. And um, I want to ask you a bit more about that just because, you know, obviously um, 
we all ascribe to, you know, I feel like as black writers to live in that Toni Morrison, you know, where she was like, I write books for black people, you know, like people are always sharing that quote, right? You know, but I feel like famously not every black author gets to do that. Uh, and especially if you're writing um, as a black and gay author, uh, unfortunately, got to deal with a lot of white people. Unless you're writing from a certain specific part of the country, you know? Um, so how have you been able to grapple with that? Because I will say, you know, you write less white people than James Baldwin. People love a, you, oh my God, you're like our James Baldwin. This is just like Giovanni's room. And I'm like, there are no black people in Giovanni's room. Why are you talking to this? <laughs> the way that I think about it is sort of like twofold. I think on the one level, there's the fact that like, yes, most black writers are like, I'm writing for black people. But what I find is that oftentimes those same people who are like, I'm writing for black people are still writing for white people, but under the guise of writing for black people. Like there's the, mm. the sort of like whiteness inception that happens in a lot of um, black art contemporary sort of like black, especially in TV and film. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's one aspect of it. Like, I do think that those people are often, I think they, they think they are making art for black people, even though if you really kick the tires on it, like there's a gooey whiteness center. <laughs> for it. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, there's the sort of real difficulty of as a black creative trying to like make art in a way that feels true to like what you want to do but you're like but are white people going to like get in the way are they going to like find a way to like get in between me and the people I want to make this for and you find yourself because oftentimes the way you've gotten into those positions to have those opportunities to be a creative is by internalizing certain defense mechanisms that let you like slip around the whiteness you know so you get really good at accommodating like white people's like petty feelings and stuff and so you you, that can result in you sort of toning yourself down and such. And so for me, the way that I navigate that is just to be like, would I find this boring? Would I shit talk this thing that I made in the DMs? You know, like, mm. would I, like, this piece of art that I have worked on, would I, if I were encountering it out in the wild, would I send this link to my black gay friends and make fun of it in the DMs? <laughs> and if the answer is yes, I go back and <laughs> redo it, you know, because mm. I feel that if you, because we all know, like we all have that one group chat where we like roast the bad black art that's out there that we can't roast publicly. <laughs> and, and so I think you it's- You know we all got that group thread. You know, I love it. <laughs> you, I mean- <laughs> A friend of mine, I think I think my friend Jamel Brinkley once tweeted, like, the best literary criticism in America is happening in black people's group DMs on Twitter. And I think that that's right. Mm. Like, I think that that's where you're finding those honest appraisals. And so when it comes to my own art, I decided not to just, like, have that be the key key on the Twitter, but, like, have it be a part of my practice. Like, mm. when I'm writing a story or working on a book, when I'm the stuff that I'm most deeply invested in getting right is the stuff about being a black person in a contemporary world. And whenever I write a black character, I'll be like, okay, would I roast this in the DMs? <laughs> and if the answer is yes, I'm like, okay, it's got to, got to redo it. And if the answer is no, I'm like, okay, I feel like I've done my job. Um, that being said, of course people are going to roast it anyway, because <laughs> that's what we do. We it's, roast stuff we love, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But also, that's like an incredible standard. Like, I don't know, like, if I were writing something and I'm like, all right, well, somebody somewhere is going to roast it. I mean, just like, it, it, I think that takes, like, in order to recover from such a tough criticism, you have to really think hard. I mean, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> yes. Because the thing is, like, honestly, I would roast a lot of things. I would, ro I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, right. Mm -hmm. For me, it's like, 
it's a very particular, very specific kind of roasting that I think mm-hmm. black people do with other black people about black art. Like there's a very particular set of like metrics you've got to like clear before it's like, okay, this is like a real authentic thing and it might have things that are great and things that aren't bad, but at least it's not terrible about blackness. <laughs> um, and so it's like a very particular set of standards that I'm, that I'm trying. That's how I negotiate that question of like, mm-hmm. am I making bad black art for white people? Mm-hmm. I think one of those things too is the fact that as artists and creators, we often have um, friends who are also artists and creators. And I think that you sort of gravitate towards people who share your same taste. So I would even offer, you know, like, Lewis, you can't worry about whether, like, black people are going to be roasting your art. But, you know, like, our other friends, you know, like the ones in, totally. like, uh, L.A. It's, like, constantly thinking, like, are they going to, would, what would they comment about this? Oh, no, please. Uh, Art, and my I, text thread, yeah. please. If you've ever made a front-facing video on Instagram, I'm sorry, your life was ruined in these DMs. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, no. Oh, uh, God. Oh, no. Now I'm like, my life is flashing. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't feel out of the norm for me, though, because one of my favorite things about reading anything about, even say like Baldwin, uh, and the other black authors of the 20th century that we love, I feel like they were much more public in their like roasting of each other than people do now. People now are worried about doing it publicly and it goes down in the DMs and stuff. And I know that shit was also private back then, but you know, like people would do like full-throated like um, reviews and drags of each other's work. And I feel like that had to have helped. (laughs) I mean... It's to the point where now white people recommend Baldwin dragging Richard Wright to me. Like, it's like that is how <laughs> public it used to be that it has become a part of like literally like the the American critical tradition is like James Baldwin, like, like popping off on Richard Wright, which is incredible. I mean, I, I agree. I think that like it did feel like there used to be a robust public discourse where we didn't have to be so polite to each other. I mean, respectful. Yeah. I mean, like they were dragging, but they were dragging from a place of like deep respect of that person's intelligence and creative ability. Mm -hmm. And they were dragging from like a place, not even of just like love, but like a, well, I know that you did not come correct this time because you could do better. And I know you could do better because I've seen it and this ain't it, you know, like there was that, but now it feels like if you do that, suddenly you're a jerk and like you're just a hater and that you're not allowed to be publicly critical of other you know Mm -hmm. other people who are sort of in your who are in your peer group and i don't know what that's all about so i just keep it to the dms nobody's about to like drag me off the (laughs) the internet Mm -hmm. for being too too public one thing i will like even commend like uh my friend uh I mean, Lucy's friend, Jeremy O'Harris, for, you know, is it like knowing that, knowing that she's a public person, you know, I feel like he's never, you know, had like a upset reaction, you know, with like a friend or like someone he respects having a negative opinion about something that he's done. Because I feel like, yes, those opinions usually come from people who are like, I think you're very talented and I like your work, you know, but this one thing doesn't work for me. And not everything has to work for everybody either, mm-hmm. you know? That would be so boring if it did, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you take what's useful, and then you leave the rest, okay? As the judges on Drag Race Espadia say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, I want to say, you are in Iowa City right now, correct? The uh, Where the University of Iowa is, my uh, undergrad alma mater. But you are there in the Writer's Workshop, which 
to undergrads like me was always this mystery fortress universe of what could be going on in there and what are they discussing? What is this sort of conservatory atmosphere like there? And also, what is it like living in just a Big Ten atmosphere where people are sincerely angry about football at all times? So I will say that I had some preparation because before living here, I lived in Madison, Wisconsin, which is like a bigger angrier city regarding yeah. football. Like I remember the first football Saturday I lived in Madison. I walked outside in the streets were just like flooded with like six foot tall, blonde Scandinavian people in like red and white striped overalls. And I was like, what in the menstrual show have I just stepped into? <laughs> um, and so, I mean, it's, it's wild. It's frankly wild, but being from Alabama, football culture is mm, yeah. <laughs> people poison trees in Alabama over college football games. Like the Midwest is very quaint by comparison to like the South um, and the, the wackiness of the SEC. Um, as for the workshop, it is, I mean, conservatory is kind of a perfect descriptor of it. I mean, it's very art school. It's like you're the worst summer camp in the world. <laughs> so mm. it's a two-year fully funded writing program where ostensibly you are there to get better creatively. But what it really amounts to is like you in a room once a week for four to five hours and twice a semester, your work is discussed, but you're not allowed to talk. So mm. for like two hours, people are telling you about your work in a way that even if you don't like it, you can say nothing. Wow. <laughs> you have no defenses. And it's like being stripped of your flesh, but with like Q-tips, like one little bit at a time. Um, mm. It was brutal um, for me in particular because people hated my work and... I don't think I ever had what was called like a, a positive workshop experience. Like it was never like, mm. oh, this is so great. I want to be, a, you have the gut, you have the talent to be a writer. Like that was never on offer. It was just like, I think I was workshop six total times and all six times I left feeling like I need to quit. I'm the worst writer in the world. Oh, um, that's so brutal. It was brutal. It was harsh. It was really ugly but at the same time it was hard because other people were clearly having a great time <laughs> you know so it's like I was the one having the bad time and everybody mm. else was like really thriving in that atmosphere or they seemed to be I'm sure it was much more complicated than all that but mm -hmm. my personal journey at the Iowa Writers Workshop was uh, brutal and bad um, and difficult really really difficult well I mean just to sit there and f basically overhear a conversation about <laughs> your work in the way where it's like other people's opinions are none of my business you know it's like well here they all are they're your business and also you can't interact with them <laughs> oh yeah yeah one time so my way of like dealing with all that because it was like very like it activated all my trauma responses and so my way of dealing with that was just to like sit there and like doodle in my notebook until it was over and like that was like an accepted mode of dealing with the stress everyone kind of knew that that's what you if you had to like leave your body like that's what you did but somebody came up to me after workshop one week and they were like the way that you were sitting there and not receiving our feedback really hurt my feelings and I'm just like how are you making that my business like how are you? I'm, like, I'm like I can't be responsible for your feelings about how I am not listening to you telling me that my work is shit like I can't I cannot deal like it was so it was so bonkers because there's also the people who really enjoy it because I mean like that sounds <clears throat> much more torturous than, you know, what I would have went through in, like, graduate school. But, you know, it's like, even in, like, the dramatic writing program at, like, uh, Tish, there are people who are, like, you can tell when there's someone who enjoys critiquing someone's work, you know? And there's also the people who you feel like everyone sort of, like, has decided, like, this person can't write. <laughs> and so, like, you talk about it outside of class, and then when you get in class, 
some of that has to slip in when you're just sort of like, well, let me tell you about this scene right here in this play because I don't know what's going on. Like some people enjoy the critiquing um, so much. Uh, and I feel like that is also one of the horrific parts about these programs. And also I want to ask about like, being a black writer too, and one who wants to, you know, like disabuse themselves of the notions of like sort of like writing for white people. One of the things that obviously helps is consuming black art. But you know, I feel like also if you are even a black writer who gets to a place of success, eight times out of ten, you've gone through some sort of environment that involves white people who can decide your career or future, right? You know, it's like there's not a lot of black people at the top. You know, so some professor had to be like, you're a good writer. Someone had to be like, oh, I want to be your agent. Someone had to be like, oh, I want to give you this book prize, et cetera. You know, and I feel like one of the hardest points is as you're learning to write and as you're becoming a creative person, the person who is reading your stuff very often ends up being a white person. How hard is it to unlearn that stuff? Because I feel like my first creative writing classes were in high school in Milwaukee at Marquette University High School, you know? And it's like this lovely white woman who really cared about literature, you know, and ran, you know, the like, um, the literature book that came out every year, you know? But she's the one who made us first read Invisible Man. And, you know, I'm like, I really feel like I did not need to be in that class with hearing her discuss Invisible Man, <laughs> you know? Or like the way that she loved to emphasize saying the phrase like, nigger in the wood pile. You know, like I didn't need that. And it wasn't helpful. Oh my God. Yeah. Ooh, listen, there's always that. So I was the only black person in my AP language class in high school when we did Their Eyes Are Watching God. And like that book is heavily in dialect and vernacular. And like all the white kids hated it. And of course, they made that my business. And so every time they'd have to like read a difficult passage out loud, they would like turn to look at me. They would like read it at me. And I just be like, what? I didn't write it like the Zora Neale Hurston. Like, they hated it. They hated it. They hated in my school Tom Sawyer. Very mad about it and would be very mad when I read the N-word out loud too in the test because they'd say, I don't think you needed to do that, Ira. <laughs> it's in the book, y'all. Like, you know, there's always we white people really love uh Mark Twain, and they always love to talk about how he invented the American voice. And like one time in a graduate seminar here at Iowa. Uh, this very kind white lady was giving a seminar on it. And I was like, I just kind of feel like Mark Twain didn't really invent the American voice. Like all he did was make white people talk like black people. And like, <laughs> nobody talks about that. And the room <laughs> went like dead silent. It's like, I'm like, I didn't mean to spill the tea. Like, I just feel like that's very obvious. And me in this room full of white people, nobody's talking about how these white people in this book are just black people. Like, What's going on, y'all? Um, but as for, like, coming up, like, through creative writing programs and academia, yeah, like, I think one way that you survive that as a Black person is just, like, getting really good at reading white people and getting really good at sort of giving them what what they want, sort of not, like, reflecting back to them, like, a surface that is, like, palatable and, like, non-threatening and all that other stuff. So I did that for a long time because I was a very high achieving type A person. And I was like, education is like my way out. Like it was a very sort of Cosby, like late 90s, <laughs> early 2000s energy in rural Alabama. Everybody's like, you're going to get an education, et cetera. Um, but then when it came time to like start making art, I was like, oh, the white people are like, 
piloting me like puppet, like a puppet. Like I'm writing black characters, but they they aren't functioning like people. <laughs> like they're just these these facsimiles. And part of unlearning that is just being like really diligent, like always asking yourself, like, is this truthful? Is this honest? Or is this like me trying to keep the sort of overculture from getting angry at me? And just being willing to sort of let them be mad. Yeah, I mean, like, once I started being like, oh, like, they can just be mad. Like, it's not the end of the world. Like, they'll sit tight. Like, it'll be fine. (laughs) Like, they don't get to control me just so that they don't have to experience discomfort. Like, they don't get to control my life. And that felt like a really radical, really important thing for me to do. And honestly, like, that didn't come about until I was no longer, like, financially, like, as beholden to making sure the white people in my grad program were happy with me. You know, like when I finally got some degree of like economic surety under my feet, then I was like, oh yeah, I can do whatever I want. Like when I sold my first two books, I was like, okay, great. I've already signed the contract. You can't make me put white people in this. Um, And so I think, you know, in your creative life, just finding little places where you're not willing to placate the overcultural imagination or the white gaze and just like being really honest and about your, about your life and about your stuff and not letting anybody tell you what to do. Well, that was lovely. Thank you. Thank you for, <laughs> thank you for being here. Honestly. Yeah. What a pleasure. Uh, Jesus. And again, yeah. the podcast voice you have when people just casually yeah. walk in here and know how to <laughs> deliver it. Like they're you know, <laughs> like, they're on, like there's somebody on the voice, but for podcasts, I am threatened and <laughs> I thank you for what you bring. <laughs> I would watch that show, honestly. I would watch you know, America's yeah. Next Top Podcaster. <laughs> As Ira Glass slams around in a chair or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, this is American would. I listen, I would love to be the Adam Levine of that show. Uh-huh. You know? Oh my God. Just creating chaos. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, or I'd be, or I'd be Christina Aguilera, you know? coming on this show mad as hell uh, <laughs> <laughs> um once again real life was truly one uh maybe the best thing i read last year to be honest uh, so excited to have talked to you today have you on the show and filthy animals is out now it's a collection of stories but it is just as fucking moving um as real life um you really are a fantastic writer so so excited for more people to read your work and also follow brandon on instagram because i love when you like take um photos of whatever book you're reading and like go into a discussion about you know like Dostoevsky or anybody else and I'm like okay you know what I'm learning something today so oh wow when people use Instagram for good I am again threatened that's really exciting (laughs) okay I I use it for chaos and you use it for good so yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) oh well I'm it was such a thrill thank you all for having me on I mean what a thrill to talk about books and the terribleness of our culture with two of our greatest minds. <laughs> oh, God. Now you're too kind. Something's wrong with you. Yeah. Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> Filthy Animals is out now wherever you get books. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.
Last week, the New York Times released a list of the 21 best American TV comedies of the 21st century, along with a blurb written by a critic or the show's creator. It's a pretty good list. Yeah. Hard to get it wrong when you give yourself 21 to choose, but all right. Yeah. Exactly. There's been like 30 shows, so. (laughs) Um, The picks are Curb Your Enthusiasm, Chappelle's Show, Arrested Development, The Office, The Comeback. Great. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Great. 30 Rock. Of course. Party Down. Okay. You know what? D- girl, we'll, we'll get back to that in a minute. All right. Don't I come know. for Party Put Down. Put a pin in it. Um, Parks and Rec. Community. Mm-hmm. Uh, Louie. Um, <laughs> Say it with your chest. Say it with your chest. <laughs> Bob's Burgers. Which I've never seen, unfortunately. Isn't that bizarre? I'm, oh, anyway. Louis. Get some taste. Cartoons are tough. Mm. <laughs> Daria or Bust. Key and Peele. <laughs> Girls. Nathan for you. Fucking hilarious. Broad City. Bojack Horseman. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Atlanta. Better Things. What? Pin 15. Each of the writers gave themselves one they would pick if it didn't make into the top 21. And I have to add... Veep. Just the level of mm. oh, cruelty sure. between the characters, the constant jokes, like the joke delivery system type comedies. Yeah. Which, by the way, I think sometimes we think like any show can basically just put a hundred jokes in a row and it like works as a comedy. But no, you really need Cracker Jack acting to make that kind of causticness work. And I think Veep is just second to none in that department. Thirty Rock is, of course, my favorite comedy of the past twenty-one years. But you're one hundred percent right. I think if I had to throw one in there. I feel like Barry deserves a little bit of a here, mm. a there. I mean, I think that what's cool about all these shows is- We haven't had enough seasons. Girl, watch your mouth. Don't talk about my baby Bill Hader like that. You gotta finish Barry, okay? <laughs> Barry has mm. to be finished first, okay? Oh, all right. We don't know how it ends. Fine, 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 fine. Which is why I'd also take out Louie. I mean, like, I feel like people love that first season so damn much. I'm like, I, I don't get it. But I think what's cool about all these shows, though, is they really changed the format and the landscape of comedy writing. Each of these shows- had such a pivotal like positionality in comedy writing and Louie just was like we would not have Atlanta without Louie unfortunately oh I'm doing this to this black man well you also wouldn't have it without the boondocks which I think there could be more oh, black is that comedies not on this, on this. no I think that this list like ignores a lot of black comedy yeah they give us our one Chappelle show that influences a lot of white people's comedy I mean, well, listen, Boondocks is on the omission list, but we don't, I don't want black people getting a participation trophy. Don't console me. Don't console me. (laughs) I don't want a participation. I don't want a consolation. I want the prize. Because for one, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, while partly a comedy, was also a one-hour show and was also like a dramedy. So why is it on the list? That's like putting Desperate Housewives on the list. Interesting. I Maybe because the, it's the music element, really. It's like you put one little thing in. The songs are so funny, though. I mean, like... The, they are. And no other show has been like that, where, like, not only are there songs, but it's not hokey. Like, they really tap into, like, a weird part of the psyche. Please don't disregard a cop rock like that. Oh. <laughs> Please do not disregard wow. cop rock like that. We are defending okay? our genres today. Girl, we imagine are. you sitting through, what, the six episodes of cop rock? I can't picture I that. have. Okay, well, that's an issue you can work out later. <laughs> the smirk on your face, Ira. I need you to calm down, baby. <laughs> Seriously, it's, it's like Animaniacs and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, you know. There are shows on this list I haven't seen. Of course, they're the exact ones that Lewis jumped at. <laughs> 
Tell me about the comeback, okay? I I love I love Lisa Kudrow, but I never seen that show. I love the comeback. The comeback is it. Lisa Kudrow did what needed to be done. Mm. The here's what I'll say about the comeback. There's only two seasons of it, and they're like ten years apart. The first season, it's just about an actress who like gets a role on a new sitcom, and it's her alleged comeback after. Years ago, she was on a TV show called I'm It. Mm. Here's the thing. Well, it's also very specifically a dramedy. When I first started watching that show, I thought, this show is so cruel to her. And I thought that's where they wanted to get the laughs. Like, can you believe how horribly this person is being treated? But it really isn't about that. It's about the mix of her weird narcissistic personality and the cruelty of the industry she's in. It finds this strange kind of poetic balance and the second season somehow is even better. I love the ending it's of sublime. that season. It's she, also it's like mm. uh, during that um, Friends reunion recently. I just wanted everyone to turn to her and say, "And then you start on one of the best comedies ever. It's better than this one, Friends." But they didn't. Yeah. So <laughs> couldn't do that. No. Nope. Now with Joey's spinoff existing, Lewis. no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Matthew Perry would have stomped out and said, mm-hmm. "Did you all forget, <laughs> Mr. Sunshine?" Well, that or. or or um, Sunset Strip. Or um, <laughs> what's the one where they're in therapy? Go on. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Matthew Matthew Perry was truly the one who who kept trying to make it work. Right. Uh, I've, I know I've said it a thousand times, but watch Lisa Kudrow interviews if you want to be entertained all day. She's such a brilliant... Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's like women who come from improv, you can trust. It's like they've seen it all. I don't know how else to put it. I've never seen Nathan for you. Actually, oh Ira, oh I, Ira, Ira, Ira is so funny. <laughs> I one Christmas I sat and watched it with like my brothers and uh, my girl from college, Jessica, came over, crying into my hands. Some of the situations he sets up, there is like a fucked up antisocial element to some of the stunts he pulls that like kind of makes me cringe a little bit in the wrong way. Otherwise, there are episodes that are so fun. He's so weird. He he's just people who have a casual weirdness that like you're always shocked by like it's he's a rare kind of personality mm. nathan fielder's amazing i the only word i would really describe him as is relentless yes like, very good mm-hmm. stoic and relentless there are episodes uh, my favorite thing about nathan for you is the way that the comedy actually translates to the world it's like trans reality comedy where he'll make this thing like dumb starbucks and then you can go online and there's a thousand news articles about this art exhibit called dumb starbucks and it all it's all in an effort to save a small business so it's got an entrepreneurial spirit <laughs> Okay. Yeah, it's like chaotic good is is the yeah. uh, phrase I would use for it. Okay. It's a great show. Well, but Party Down. What is what is Party Down? Why y'all <laughs> everybody in my ear about this show? Okay, first of all, Party Down was a show on Stars starring Adam Scott. Mm-hmm. Okay, who we love. Delicious man. Yes. Uh and it was about like cater waiters in Hollywood. Jane Lynch. Yeah. It's fucking his Jane Lynch. Fucking hysterical at show. Lizzie Kaplan. Okay, fine. In the pilot, I believe in Rico Colin Tony jumps naked into a pool, which Right. I we need that once, sure. The episode with Steve Gutenberg is like one of the most iconic TV comedy episodes ever made. And also when we had Lizzie Kaplan on the show, she talked about how unforgettable that experience was. Also, all of these people individually are super, super funny. Like it's nice that we got them together for something. Kristen Bell, so mm. Okay. Yeah. And actually, most of the cast of Party Down has been on Keep It. <laughs> wow, yeah. Not Jane Lynch, who was now a game show host. So she's I, obligated to get here. No. Yeah, we can yeah. have Jane Lynch on now that she's not um, tweeting about her um, plumber. Oh, that's right. I forgot all about that business. All right. <laughs> all right. 
She's seven foot four. They make mistakes. It takes longer for thoughts to travel up there. Kevin Hart, <laughs> Kevin Hart was also on Party Down and was funny on it. So you know it was good. Yes, of course. Kevin Hart made me laugh. All right. Where's Rick and Morty? Yeah. Okay, where's Rick and Morty? Where's Search Party? I will swap Party Down for Search Party. Search Party is among the most, like, successfully of the moment shows. Yeah. You know. It's loved. It's beloved. Like capturing a kind of conversation that I feel like other shows try for and miss. But also not really done yet. Yeah. You've invented this criteria that I... But um, Atlanta's not done yet either, I guess. Or Pin 15, which had two seasons. I don't know. Pin 15 fucking rules. Mm. It does. Or Always Sunny, which has 18,000 fucking seasons. I don't think it has any time. It's not going to stop. Well, that I think the criteria ends with that one once you've gone past a decade. Yeah. And it's still going, you know? I, I truly think one of the most damning things about the Emmys is that Caitlin Olsen has never been nominated. Because on that show, oh. the feverishness of that character, of her performance, Maybe for hacks. The, the deafness with the punchline. Yeah, I mean, it's, and I like her on hacks, but it's always sunny. It's like, it gives me a headache how fucking good she is. She's so awesome. Yeah. Also, fuck Fox for canceling the Mick. Right. We did yeah. enjoy it. She was really good in that, too. So, Caitlin Olsen. Popped up in my favorite film, my favorite piece of cinema, Leap Year. Oh, right. So. Yes. Also, Lisa Kudrow is in Boss Baby. So, it's just an episode for me. Are you done? <laughs> Maniac. I will. I'm done. I've been done, but it's just like it's become a pattern of behavior in the in the Twitter mentions, <laughs> and I'm like, I would like to just. I want to have consistency, Ira. Anyway, 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 we will see you back for keep it. <laughs> I can't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. It is Keep It. A lot going on this week. A lot going on this week. A lot of things. Aida. Yes. It was Juneteenth. Happy Juneteenth. Yes. Happy Juneteenth. I want to scream it from the from the hilltops. I want to go tell it on a mountain. <laughs> I want to do something about it. Girl, the girls were out. This is a half. Key. This is, of course, a celebration, but also it's me. So I'm irritated when I'm having fun. <laughs> uh, I went out. I went out to Lamert Park in LA. It was a beautiful experience. It was maybe like I want to say seventy thousand people, rough estimate. Mm, so okay. there was a lot of you know, just it was a lot of people. I'm not sure how many, but there was no walking space. There's a lot of kiosks, a lot of places to buy African black soap and shea butter. Um, I've never bought so many shells in my life. A beautiful experience, celebration of black people. Way, way better than the the Juneteenth we had last year. It really resonated with me about halfway into the day that we are exactly like a year, almost a year out from like Toyin's passing and George Floyd's passing. And I don't know where the year went. I really don't know where the year went. So I spent most of the day um, thinking somberly about, about our people, but also celebrating and having a lot of fun and critiquing our Pan-African flag. Guys, black, red, green, we got to do something about it. It's just, <laughs> it's just a lot going on. And there's so many... Ugh, just the iconography, the branding. I would like us to graduate. Well, famously, flags aren't good. Ugh, I you know, for our people. I mean, I think I think Royce and I talked the other day about the pride flag also kind of being ugly. Ugh, guys, why is it? Is this the first iteration to liberation? It's like we have to have an ugly flag, <laughs> and then and then we can start really talking. 
Because every time you get sent something, too, with the colors of, like, a certain flag, too, you're always like, these colors look awful. I feel like the problem with the pride flag, the original one, I mean, uh, we have the add-ends now with the uh, trans awareness, et cetera, but there shouldn't be the same amount of every color on the flag. Mm. I feel like maybe if there was a little less yellow, which is so super saturated, maybe it would be a little bit more palatable. I don't hate the flag, but I'm also like, the flag is uh, ready for criticism. The trans flag is cute. Those colors the are cute. The trans flag is cute. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And ice blue, that speaks to me in a queer way, just period. <laughs> yes. Because I also want to point out that when Laganja Estranja came out as trans um, this week, Paul Wall responded to her Instagram with, baby, let me know if you want to grill with the trans flag colors. And I'm like, that would be cute. I would Aww. wear that in my mouth. Oh, mm-hmm. I would wear that. Yeah. But lastly, just my Juneteenth complaints is I know that um, there's a lot of unvaccinated people in the black community by nature of us being black. Mm. And we was just outside in each other's faces with no masks on. So I did have to leave about an hour into the event. Um, my anxiety got the best of me. Mm. So, you know, beautiful time. The girls were wearing their Pat McGrath, their Fenty, their Pharrell, human race, everything. It was just very, very black. Very, very black. Mm, I like my Pharrell human race. I got some Pharrell Tims. Ooh. That are very cute. It's a cute moment. I thought your yeah. keeping in regards to Juneteenth was going to be all the like back and forth online from people saying that like they were mad that like it be- became a holiday now. Oh. Obviously, you know, in the situation where, you know, like critical race theory is being attacked in schools, right? And, you know, they don't want people to actually even learn what Juneteenth is, but we have a holiday for it. Mm-hmm. It's fucked up. But some of the discourse went too far and they're like, why do we even have this day to celebrate? And, you know, I'm like, people have been fighting for Juneteenth to become a holiday for years. So this isn't new. This isn't just, new. Because, just because you discovered what it is last year doesn't mean that you can now decide it shouldn't be a holiday because you feel a type of way about it. And I love an opportunity to just put my feet up and just take the day off. Ugh, happy shut, June Shut, shut your me. white ass oh. up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it is pretty funny, the idea of just like white people taking a load off on Juneteenth. <laughs> shut up. They do it on MLK Day. Actually, I feel like the reason white people are extra excited about Juneteenth is because they don't necessarily always get MLK Day off. Mm. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. I've been at jobs where people have been like, so do we get this day off? Or I don't know. And (laughs) some people will just make you work through it. Right. It's like a Veterans Day. Like I don't know the actual rules about this. but Yeah. Or what we're celebrating. But I'm not here. I feel also like I was frustrated, especially at Juneteenth, for having the nerve to fall on a Saturday. Mm. Like, Mm. cool, we're a federal holiday, but who gets off? Who gets off Mm -hmm. on a Saturday? And also Juneteenth's Eve. That should be a holiday as well. Yeah. Well, a lot of people were off Friday. I was not. I saw white people tweets going up. I know y'all was resting that day. Oh, Issa, Issa kept you working, girl. Girl. She kept you on the plantation. <laughs> <laughs> she runs a tight, tight ship. Nobody jumping <laughs> off it. And by the way, July 4th is on a weekend this year. And then I don't get July 5th off. So everybody cry on my behalf. Thanks. Mm. I, don't know, I might be seeing you this July 4th. No more narrow misses at parties, okay? Okay. I gotta be where you're okay. at when you're there. Okay. Okay. Yes. Keep it to Aida showing up at a party uh, after I had left. Hmm. 
um, last weekend. Mm-mm. And then seeing photos with you and Z-Way. Uh-uh. I won't have this again, okay? We showing up at the same time. It's an Ira Aida summer. So I showed up late. You're right. You're right. I did come at like 11.45 almost. Who, who shows up at 11.45 to a pool party? <laughs> <To> a day party. <laughs> okay, a day party. You showed up at 11.45 p.m. A young Muslim woman. A young Muslim woman who does not swim in public, okay? I came when it was safe. For my people. Okay, well, put your hijab back on. <laughs> you see where hijab at. Aida, when Ira is telling you not to show up late, something has gone real wrong in your life. So I know. I know. Take it to heart. Take it to heart. I know. Uh, Lewis, what's your key for it? I was looking for a keeper this morning, and I went on Twitter, and this one was simply begging to be called out. It said, Lewis, here I am. It's this movie Karen, <laughs> which stars Taryn Manning as a... Uh, a Karen, uh, a next door neighbor from hell, white woman with swoopy Kate Goslin type hair. The movie is exactly what you expect based on the trailer, which is kind of a get out knockoff. Like there's something sinister going on mm-hmm. uh, here. It's a, a, very Lakeview Terrace. Uh, that's a reference to our friend's house, which we should edit out. <laughs> <laughs> no, Lewis. Um, very Lakeview Terrace, the Samuel L. Jackson movie. Oh yes, where he right. where he where he terrorized that mixed race couple. Wow, <laughs> woof! You really took me back. Um, <laughs> here's the thing: we all had like a good moment where the Karen joke was funny and resonant. We simply have hit this too many times. It feels to me like an SNL sketch from like two years ago now, and I don't think there's any more even macabre humor to be eked out of like a, a Karen calling management or whatever the the big joke of this movie is. And then additionally, it's not the right way, I feel like, to investigate actual shittiness towards black people. I don't know. It feels a little facile to me, ultimately. Mm. I get it. The main complaints, too, are that these get-out knockoffs don't really get what that movie was about when a lot of it was parodying, you know, sort of like white liberalism, you know, um, and taking Mm -hmm. black culture. And it wasn't just black person in a situation where creepy things are happening. Um, Mm -hmm. But I will say, once again, the pendulum always swings too far in the other direction. You have everyone mad that anyone would even deem to like try and copy what Jordan Peele was doing. And I'm just sort of like, filmmakers want that? I mean, I mean, you want to like be responsible for creating sort of like a new genre and a new way of telling stories, right? You wish that they weren't bad knockoffs, you know. But like mm-hmm. John Carpenter revitalized the horror genre by doing Halloween. There were a bunch of bad knockoffs, but you know, we got like Friday the Thirteenth, we got like a Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, that were like variations on the slasher, thanks to Carpenter. So there will be movies that are great. Um, that come out of sort of what Jordan Peele created. Not everyone will be good, but you also can't attack everything because it looks like it's doing what Jordan Peele did. You know, I mean, like, Mm -hmm. a lot of people did what Tarantino did after Pulp Fiction. A lot of people, you know, like, copied The Matrix after the Wachowski sisters did that, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, also, I mean, like, it's a familiar type of movie. I mean, even think of the movie Ma or something. Yeah. Something's kind of off about her, you know? I'd rather not, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love Ma. See, mm-hmm. I'd rather Ma too instead of Karen. Karen feels more Ma to me mm-hmm. yeah. than it does Get Out. Ira, what's your keep it? So my keep it this week goes to um, that tiny rapper DaBaby. Mm-hmm. Burn him down. Aptly named. Go ahead. I feel I feel like we are constantly saying keep it to the baby on the show. At, at He's a, never done a good thing. No. <laughs> oh, I like him on that levitating remix. Lewis. Do you? <laughs> 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 and the 
episode. I prefer the Madonna version, but yeah. Mm. Well, so the baby recently did a collaboration with Tory Lanez, who, as we know, shot Megan the Stallion last summer. You got to say allegedly, baby, before he, the, his lawyers come for you. Mm. We know what. Sorry. We know what. Thank the truth you, Star is. Jones. Thank you, Star Jones. Yes, allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> okay, we don't want crooked media. We don't want Snapchat to be sued, etc. So. After his collaboration with Tory Lanez, who allegedly uh, shot Megan Thee Stallion last summer, he retweeted a fan tweeting, I guess the baby and Tory Lanez cool now because they shot somebody and they don't have to do no jail time. Ah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then when he's called out on it, he responded, I don't know what type of Illuminati shit Twitter got going on. I ain't retweet nothing but ball if I want to promo. I ain't retweet that silly shit. Then once people start tagging me and I saw it, I tried to delete it and undo the retweet. Twitter didn't let me. What type shit y'all on? Sir, come on now. I don't know. Come on. I don't know, man. Yeah, and, and it's like it is a pattern of the disrespect to Megan, uh, someone who has put you on multiple times, even though you continue to ruin the songs of hers that you're on, particularly Cry Baby. We didn't need that. Cash It was fine. Cash It was fine. It did, it did what she had to do, and we were all sort of ready to be like, the baby stands. And then, you know, as we said, we saw him live at one point at Flogna, and then, you know, like Cry Baby. And I'm like, the, the subsequent the baby turnouts are, <laughs> are bad. So mm-hmm. it's been very awful to see him disrespect Megan this way because I remember that Instagram live that they had done when Crybaby came out where his mm-hmm. friend was sort of disrespectful to Megan on Instagram live too. It's shitty to do that to her. It's stupid, especially for somebody whose career just went up and up in accordance with Meg's. Like we was only listening to the baby because he was with Meg. Like I, I mean, that's my personal opinion, but mm-hmm. um, it's embarrassing. I think the most egregious thing about all of this is not just the tweets or whatever happened or the baby blaming on Illuminati, but this nigga made a whole song with with Tory Lanez. Why? Right. Why? You went in the studio with him. And you made a music video. You didn't just like, oh, here's my verse, bruh. Put it out. Don't. I'm not promoting it. No, nothing. I went and you made a video and it's about police brutality. Like it just makes it so difficult for me to want to defend black men right now. Y'all are pressing me. Which also, the only rapper that I feel like anyone would hop on a track with less than DaBaby is Tory Lanez. I don't. So, where are the hits? A mess. Did you see, by the way, um, <laughs> speaking of people messing with Megan the Stallion, the MC from Paris is Burning, Junior LaBeja, talking about how on Legendary, where Megan the Stallion is a judge, he criticizes her specifically because he says straight superstars have lifted all the voguing ballroom moves from their culture specifically it's interesting that he kind of singled out megan you know obviously there's a couple of judges in that show but well i mean um, jamila's not releasing any ballroom videos i, I <laughs> have to say i don't <laughs> i'm think, not i'm not seeing yeah. any dips yeah right. <laughs> the good place season four <laughs> but um it's an interesting interview if you want to read it in uh thr we can discuss that another yeah. way mm, okay I do want to point out that this did lead to a very funny moment from the Barb's, though, because I, I love you know my people yeah, and sick. that they yeah. are truly bonkers. Uh, when Megan tweeted, "Support me in private and publicly do something different." These industry men are very strange. The situation ain't no damn beef, and I really wish people would stop playing it down like it's some internet shit for likes and retweets. Barb's in her mention saying, "Didn't you do the same when you teamed up with 
Cardi B for WAP after she assaulted Nikki at the Harper's Bazaar party. Girl, I thought and- about that. <laughs> I did. I did think about that. <laughs> it's not the same thing, but it's so mm. funny. It was hilarious. It really was hilarious. She was with Cardi B. She was with Nikki. But I also think that like the level of assault. There's so many. There's so many conversations. To well, be that, had. that's what I'm saying. It's the level of assault. It's like if you're in the rap game, like you constantly running a file of each other, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's like how many people would not work with Drake because he was throwing bottles at Chris Brown or something like that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Come yeah, on. I just, you, there's too many calculations to make in the industry about who you collaborate with. And for me, I'm like, if you're not an abuser, if you didn't really fully assault another woman, like, there's so much there. But Meg got to worry about her pockets. Why would she not do a song with Cardi and a song with Nicki? That is the stupidest right. thing I've ever heard. The baby doesn't need to do a song with Tory Lanez. Yes, it's not going to enrich his pockets. So, anyway. Barb's, the word I would pick for Barb's is ornery. That is an ornery yes. group of people. And I am an ornery man. I know. I, I, you were fully involved. Yeah. That was about you, too. Uh, all right. Well, that's our show this week. Whew. Bye, bye, bye. Another keep it classic for the books. Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. At it. Uh, thank you to Brandon Taylor for joining us. And we will see you next week. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Caroline Reston and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Our executive producer is Ira Madison III. I think I've heard of him. Our editor is Bill Lance and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroote, Narmel Konian, and Milo Kim for production support every week. Stay safe. Be blessed. God loves you. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.